Welcome to the Likes and Cash Podcast, boys. Today, we answered a lot of the questions you guys asked us, which is, should you monetize day one? How do you launch an offer and make it look new every time? What are our health and fitness goals and how we're going to crush 2024 with our offers and how to make 2 million in EBITDA within a year? Enjoy. Okay. What's up? What's up? I've never seen anybody warm up for a podcast by like jumping up and down like it was a basketball game yeah bro i'm drinking i'm drinking coffee now like poland converted me into a bunch of a bunch of esoteric health stuff so now i don't take splenda i take collagen with my coffee i put sugar on it no more coke zeros i'm a new man do you drink athletic greens nah, i don't do that bro i drink orange juice now i'm not afraid of sugar something that i learned about european people is they're not afraid of sugar you ask them what are we having for dinner and American people will tell you, well, we're having, I don't know, chicken breast and vegetables or whatever. Some Europeans will be like, cake? Tonight we're having cake for dinner. And that's what they have, and they're lean and, and good looking. So they're maybe onto something. I think you're more qualified now than anybody else to talk about the myth that is jet lag. I feel like I was a little bit jet lagged when I came from Singapore to New York, but I've only did like one trip and then I would st- I'll stay somewhere. You went like Guatemala, Poland, Korea... What is it, Japan, and then back to Guatemala in like a month? How is how is the jet lag and how is the trip? Jet lag is real, bro. Like it's it's you know when I came here, I was I was feeling good because I was like high in adrenaline from like seeing all my family and stuff, and I'm like, yeah, jet lag's my bitch. And then I woke up at two a.m. and I couldn't get back to sleep. I'm like, no, I'm jet lag's bitch, and I just couldn't get back. So work wake up at two a.m. worked. That was calls day, right? So I finished at like noon. I was feeling a little dizzy, so had lunch, sleep. Then I woke up at 9.30 p.m. I'm like, I'm all fucked up. But like right now, I'm actually quite struggling because I woke up at 2 a.m. Right now, it's 8, and I'm like, okay. But let's talk about the podcast. Uh, do you like Red Velvet Cake? I think Red Velvet Cake's a scam. I think it's like they try to sell it as its own flavor, but in my opinion, it's just like colored vanilla. What do you think? That is exactly the point. It's colored chocolate, I think, or colored vanilla. Anyway, like yeah. red velvet is the cake you've always had, but it just has a different color. And I was, I came up with this analogy when I was explaining offers, and I want to use this in the podcast because I think that offers should be the same thing every time, but you put a little bit of coloring when you send it. So you have the chocolate cake, but then you put a little bit of red, and now it's a different thing. I think that offers need novelty to them. Right, you need to include some something new. People like novelty. That's the reason why they cheat on ten-year relationships, and uh, they just want to travel and see something new, right? Because they love novelty. But if you include a little bit of novelty, like include a one-on-one component, include a done-for-you component, change something small about your offer, make it red velvet. That will allow you to keep the offer fresh every time. So I'm a big fan of coming up with excuses, and now is a great excuse, which is New Year's, and leads me to my question, which is. What offers are you running for New Year's and what can anyone learn about it? I, I, I love doing this. Like, I don't do it as uh, diabolical, but I guess once you're kind of in business for a long time, you start to just do it naturally when it's your business. But for me, is I've changed the wording so many times and I'm doing something for New Year's. But for things, the way I've pitched my service to people is so different almost for every person. Like it'll be... I'll blow up your personal brand or I'll add a revenue stream to your info business or I'll help you. <laughs> one that I recently did was like, oh, if you're looking for uh if you're looking to launch on Jan 1, this is a great way to squeeze in a last minute tax expense. 
<laughs> it's like I've run it very many ways or like there's a huge fitness community on X or there's, you know what I mean? Like I've run it in many different ways and I typically tailor it since I don't do a ton, a ton of uh, speaking to prospects. I'm able to tailor it every single time pretty custom. And I think it's, there's something to be said. I think it's really, uh, I think it's smart. How do you not speak so much to prospects? I have my, my own take on this, but how do you do it? I mean, for me, it's like, I, I don't, there's not a ton of my ideal prospects just like staring me in the face all the time. Like for me, I could tweet, you know, 20, 30 times in a week and I'll see like one or two good leads that I actually should reach out to. Otherwise it's mostly inbound and referral. So like I'm not actively, cause I could, you could tell after a long, long enough period of time, you can kind of tell when someone's going to be a good fit just by looking at their bio and their face and, <laughs> and their like profile. You know what I mean? For, for your own, for yours and mine, because our niche is visible. Right. For invisible niches, like there's the, there's a knee guy. Agree. Uh, like you, you don't know if that guy is a billionaire. I'm totally right? B2B. Is We're totally to talking B2B. B2B. Yeah. Yeah. So like I call it visible and invisible. You and I can kind of tell just by looking at people, but if it's more health related, then somebody asked me, should I message everyone? I'm like, yes, you, you really don't know. Last time yeah. this knee guy closed a client, two followers, no profile picture. And you just don't know, paid 2.5K in full. To your point, you can keep going. Yeah, I usually, the, and I that's so true. I usually, I don't know why it always does that for me. I think it's my camera. Um, I always tell, whether it's a setter or a client, I'll always tell them, never assume. So unless that they're, unless their profile like plainly reads that they are not in your target market or target location or target demographic, like if you're targeting women and unless their bios shows that they're a male, you're reaching out to them because they could be a woman. If they're, if you don't target people in, you only target people in Canada, unless their bio specifically says a location that's not Canada, you target them. So I always say, don't assume. And I, I teach setters that too, because I mean, I can't, I can't count how many times I've reached out to an egg profile picture or clients spoken to like these theme page, like stoic faceless accounts. And then behind them is like a 24 year old guy who has 60k your job is looking to quit or something like that right so you just you can never really assume when you say setters do you do setters because your funnel i'm assuming here but i'm assuming your funnel is get a bunch of engagement on stuff then ask people to inbound dm and then you have setters handle that conversation into a call yeah exactly and you know especially with our clients like 99 percent of them are typically people who don't have time to send them 50 to 100 dms a day like, you know what i mean there's are people that they want systems in place so that they can spend more time with their family or more time on their actual business or something like that, right? They don't have time to sit in the DMs on X, nevertheless, four platforms. So um, yeah, I, I always recommend like putting in a setter for these people that are just don't have the time. Yeah. Do you, and tell me if I'm being too nosy, but do you always, when people get on a call, do you pitch the paid in full always first? I'm curious on that. That's an interesting one that I just spoke to a client about and it was, I, I, my answer to him and you know, this is still working, work in progress. Like I don't have the answer, but my answer to him is what are we optimizing for? If we're optimizing, like, let's say my offer to them is going to help them build, I don't know, like a, a real estate portfolio or something like that. Right. And it's going to require a long period of time. So you're going to need a longer period of commitment, like 12 months. There is a case to be made that if you need them week in and week out or month in and month out to be very engaged and they need some of that investable capital to be in the real estate portfolio, it might make more sense to pitch the 12 month first or like the weekly pricing first. In this case, it was weekly pricing. 
So they do weekly pricing because they need weekly engagement for maximum client success. And I know you must talk to Ryan about this, but like net promoter score or something like that, right? Like for them to have maximum retention, if you find that your clients have better retention and success when they're engaged throughout the week or they pay weekly, then do weekly pricing first. And then if they want to do, if they ask about a PIF and they're like, actually, I'd rather just like save 800 bucks and pay up front, then obviously you're not going to be like, no, don't give me the money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it, I think it depends. And I think more businesses should see like what payment plan leads to better success because different kinds of payment plans are different kinds of commitment. You would try something different that I wanted to talk about. You know, pricing is an interesting topic because it's numbers, but it's also very subjective. So the other, we have a like a, a one-two page, right? So first you get into the weekly thing and after we offered a paid in full discount. So we used to offer 30% discount, which was a little over 2,000. Nobody took it, zero, no, like nobody did. Then we changed it to save 2,000, which actually is less saving. And the first person who saw it, got it. And the second person who saw it, asked for it. It'll, you, like, this is kind of mind blowing to me. I don't know, but to me it's, you had less of a saving, but because you framed it instead of as a percentage, as a dollar amount, more people were willing to take it. And one person actually took it, which to me was, was kind of mind blowing. So right. it, it, I, I came up with this useful rule of thumb for myself, which is just like Newton, right? An object in motion will stay in motion and an object at rest will stay at rest. I believe prospects in motion tends to stay in motion and prospects at rest tend to stay at rest. So December, right? We fill our spots in the first week. How did it happen? Eight out of those 10 spots came from a list of like 200 people. Two out of those 10 spots came from a list of 21,000. So how does that work, right? Why was that so much more valuable than the other? And it's because a prospect in motion tends to stay in motion. The people who joined early, like the eight out of 10, which was by December 2, these people have already bought something before because they already spent some money. They were already in motion. It was easier to convert them into the bigger thing. And I don't know why service businesses don't do that sometimes. We want to upsell people from clients into our higher level stuff, right? Or into a longer term agreement. But we don't think about it in the opposite way. We don't, up, we don't think about it as upselling leads into clients because we don't have a customer offer. We don't have something that's a one-time without it being recurrent. We always want to sell the big thing. So when I changed kind of that philosophy of a prospect in motion to stay in motion, I understood that value ladder and actually having the, you know, one-time purchase into the upsell of a recurring into the higher level program. I started making way more, fill the client spots for September, October, November, and December. November, December within the first week. So that was a pretty interesting experiment. I ran really happy with it. That is interesting. So what is a... What have you learned from New Year promotions and like, would you do them again? Slash Black Friday, because I know we haven't spoken in a while. Well, something that I did for Black Friday is I dropped something on Black Friday, but most of the money came before Black Friday. So it was like an 11 email sequence. Black Friday was like email number six. So I actually sold five before. And on those five, I always said, I'm going to drop this. But if you want to skip the line and get early access, reply, right? Like this send me something, react to this Instagram story. And I would send them just like the offer or like a Google doc with the offer. Most of the sales came before Black Friday. And I also understood that you want to use certain levels of limits to your offer. Limited offers outperform unlimited offers because of supply and demand loss. So 
Uh, okay, we're going to full autism mode right now. Let me explain this. Okay, so power will go to the most scarce resource, demand or supply. So when demand is more scarce than supply, meaning that when you ask someone who sells the service, how many clients can you take? Supply. And they're like, as many as the imagination can hold. Well, then that's unlimited and demand is limited, which means that they have more power because they know that you need them more than they need you. And in that case, like that's when you end up chasing and that's why I don't like it. That's why you and I, we cap our spots because, because it puts us in the other realm, which is when supply is more limited than demand, then you control the doors. Then you say, we only have 10 spots. Then you say, this is disappearing. Then buy before the pressure is not on us. The pressure is in the prospect or in the, in the customer, right? Or somebody who you're selling to the lead. So what I did for Black Friday is I said, during the entire email sequence, I made it really clear. If you buy from now until Black Friday, the price is this. If you buy on Black Weekend, the price is up. If you buy on Cyber Monday, the price is more. And then it disappears. So it gave people an incentive to be like, okay, fuck it. Because limited offers outperform unlimited offers. I feel like Black Friday is turned into like everybody. It's always every year trying to do something and just trying to one-up the competition. Like, it's like that joke where some people are, I bet they started doing, uh, you know, they started doing Cyber Monday and now it's BFCM and then people started doing five-day sequences and then they started it a week early. Now businesses start it on like November 1st and next year they're going to start it on Halloween and eventually sure. Black Friday is going to start in like August. It's just going to keep pushing forward. That's so funny. For December, our, it's a kind of a common thing or a common belief that our businesses, which are kind of more education businesses, suffer. Have you found that yeah. to be the case for you? You know, what's funny is I thought I had this weird, um, not this weird, but I had a thesis that November would be big and that December would be a slight slowdown. But I'd find, I found that in certain businesses, November was the biggest and in certain businesses, November was the smallest and December's better. It's really weird. I think it just, I think it's market dependent. I think different kind of ICPs are at different modes in December. Like if you think of like the 18 to 24 year old in December might be a little bit more proactive because they have more free time. Whereas the, you know, 28 to 42 year old is probably going to be more with their family. So I think it, it really just depends on ICP for me. And since not of our clients have the same ICP, some clients suffered in November and are picked up in December and then some vice versa. And some of them are crushing both. Can you talk about which niches suffered and which one did well in November and December? Yeah. So in terms, I'll talk about the ICP. So I think the clients that are doing, that did worse in November had younger audiences and they're doing better in December. And then the clients, and I'm talking like 18 to 24 year old male. And then I'd say the clients that are in the more so like 30 plus. It's funny because they have they're getting more followers in December than they did November. But I suspect and projections show less sales, but more followers in December. So it's almost like if you think about it psychologically, if I'm a 30 or 40 year old with a nine to five, they're like, I'm going to follow this guy for December and pick it back up in January. But I don't want to forget. So I'm going to follow him. Do you know what I mean? Mm, that's the psychology. Okay. I think I think that's the psychology that's going on with that is that so my older ICPs are we're getting more followers in December, but we had more sales in November. Really weird. I, I that's my theory behind why. I have a question. You said this on December twelfth. Reality is most people are coping. You were co-tweeting a tweet about people are like like engagement is shit, right? Blaming the algorithm for their lack of reach. You have to adapt your content strategy and tactics. Most not willing to get hands dirty. So Marcus, how does someone get good engagement, bro? I agree with that guy. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like me for real. I've been banging on 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 my riff post lately. I saw that it. I find that people want to blame everybody but themselves, and I know you agree. But when you think about what the algorithm is, like the algorithm is just people. All the algorithm is going to do is how can I give the best content to the people? So what do the people want, and I give them what they want. Like if you think about the YouTube algorithm and. I don't want people to be like, oh, it's YouTube. It's a better algorithm. No, it's a different algorithm. But Mr. Beast has never slowed down, ever. Has his content changed? Yes. But he's always at the top, right? Because he's constantly adapting to what's working and he's constantly split testing even when it's working. And what I find people do is that when something works and they double down on it and it works and then they triple down and they're like, oh, it's not working anymore. It must be the algorithm. The point is that you got lazy because you finally hit something. And now you think it's just going to work forever. It's just not the case. Content's always changing. And if you think about the algorithm as an infinite game or a zero-sum game, it's like people are using the platform at all-time high rates. You're telling me that the algorithm is broken so nobody's seeing any content? What are we looking at? A black screen? Right? You have to be looking at something so somebody has to be winning at all times, no matter what. Unless they're showing nobody, nothing to nobody. Right. So it's cope. It's people think, oh, the algorithm, it's the algorithm, but the, the algorithm's showing something. So just figure out how to be the something. So I think people are just lazy. <laughs> now, I have a follow up to this one. I listen to you, Marcus, and I'm like, facts, bro, but my engagement is still shit. What do I do? <laughs> yeah. So uh, what I do is, and it's funny, I think I heard a lot of chatter about, oh, I don't use the free you page. Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't like the for you page. It doesn't work for me. You got to use the for you page. You have to use the for you. The for you page is literally like, hey, I'm the algorithm. This is how I'm working. So whatever you're seeing, that's what the algorithm is showing you. You can now reverse engineer the posts that you're seeing because they're literally winning on the algorithm. And now I take it a step further as you go to other platforms, right? I typically like to make like a mental hierarchy of, of platforms. And I'm like, what platforms correlate the best at what time? So let's call it TikTok. TikTok is great for hooks. So now I'm going to go use the For You page on TikTok and see which hooks are cracking. And since I know TikTok has the best algorithm, I just personally, you must, everyone must know this, but TikTok has the most elite algorithm. Like you could have zero followers and hit a mil quick faster than YouTube. So if TikTok has the most powerful algorithm, I can infer that something that hits on the For You page on TikTok will hit before it hits on YouTube, will hit before it hits on X. So if I think of X as like last in that hierarchy or LinkedIn as below X or, or something like that, right? I can have reverse engineer these platforms in a hierarchy, which hooks are working on TikTok and Reels and YouTube, and now be like, okay, those will probably be what works on X next. I think hit things hit X last in terms of like hooks. So you can go and now reverse engineer those and then put them on there. That's sauce. Not going to give anything further. <laughs> there you go. All right. So you said- <laughs> That's sauce. You, you talked about Mr. Beast. I want to- You know who I came across recently? Sam Sulik. You know that guy? Of course I know that guy. Dude. All the rage. Yeah. That That's the thing. That's what's interesting to me. Like, I think that if you check out his comments, which was interesting, it's not much about like questions about fitness. It's all about- Sam is so transparent, bro. Like Sam is saving yeah. the fitness industry. I just love how raw and unfiltered this guy is. And I think Sam and uh, Mr. Beast have achieved like this kind of state in which they're popular because they're them, but they're them because they're popular. So it's like kind of this this loop, but right. it's like they, they can't fail. Even if they fuck it up, people are going to be like, that's genius. That's so nice. Right. And I think it's like, 
uh, you know, a lot of people have been talking about, oh, Sam Sulik's doing it, so everyone else should be doing it. I don't think it's that simple. I think that style of raw and filtered long form content, it will work for some people. But I mean, like most of you guys, if you do it, you're going to flop. No one's going to watch your shit. And be like, an hour, an hour long. Who the fuck is this guy? It's like, it's not, it's not as simple. It just the same way as like, if I go make a Mr. Beast challenge video, it's probably not going to hit. It's because yes, you want to do what works, but also you need to, to an extent, play to your strengths. So I think it's just, there's a lot of nuance with it that I think a lot of people are thinking, oh, everything's going towards raw and unfiltered. I don't necessarily believe that. The algorithm still exists. I think he hit that and some other people will hit that, but I don't think it's going to be for everybody. Yeah, good point. I to, to do some pushback on that, I recently changed a lot of my style on like video specifically. You know one thing I hated doing? This is the only video content I actually enjoy doing. I hated putting my phone up and recording shorts. Kill me, bro. That was horrible. I felt It felt so all. And I didn't like, I just didn't like it, bro. And I see some people are like, have you ever seen those videos where it's like, Someone's talking and then below there's gameplay. So it makes you actually stay because you see the little ball bouncing and spinning and stuff. Yeah. I think that's not good. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. It might get you a bunch of like views, but here's the thing. You do that because you're like, yeah, people's attention spans is like really short and we need to capture their attention. Valid, 100%. But I think that if you need a bouncing ball and flashy transitions and aggressive animations to build an audience, then that's probably not the right audience. So I chase it. I tell my editor, no more flashy stuff. I don't want aggressive transitions. You know how sometimes, you know, in a video, right? So you're watching a video and then somebody mentions the word, let's say you are training. And while he says the word, you are training, it switches to someone actually training and you're like, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't enjoy that personally because I don't consume much of that, those educational video content. I don't like that. So I don't want to do stuff that I wouldn't like to see myself. So I told my editor, no more flashy transitions. I don't want to see any, like, this is the font, which is actually quite boring. And like, I don't want any other stuff that's not just information, just maybe text. That's the most things people get. Because Danco said something that I actually like. I asked him, Dan, what's your content strategy? And he says, I do blog posts first because it's long form and it filters out people who only want short form. And that stuck with me. And that's why I changed my strategy to more short form, uh, long form content now. And it's been working great. You know, filler clients about four months in a row. So I'm really happy with it. One thing I feel like I've learned about content is that your best content is created when you enjoy doing it. And I know it's like age-old advice, but I think I forgot about it and a lot of people forget about it when they kind of get caught in the business matrix where it's like leads, 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 what's optimal, optimal, optimal. And then you kind of forget like, what do I enjoy? Like you said, you enjoy the podcast. Well, that's probably why the podcast has listeners. Like the podcast wouldn't have listeners if we hated doing this. You know what I mean? And knowing you, you would have quit after episode two because you love to hit, you don't do like doing things you don't enjoy. <laughs> so uh, one thing, like one thing for me is, right, I don't really like podcast clips in terms of shorts. Like I don't like the way they come out. They always, cl it, it clips me out of context most of the time. I'm still on the fence about them. But one thing I do like is podcast clips, long form podcast clips. And I think Joe Rogan and Lex Freeman do this really well on their YouTube channels where it's like real YouTube videos but it's five to 10 minute se segments of the podcast. And it has a, its own thumbnail and its own title. And it'll be like, you know, Lex Friedman talks about 
you know, AI robots in 2024. Like Joe Rogan talks about Alpha Brain. Yeah, or Joe, Joe Rogan on the mystery of the Amazon snakes. Joe, the, the most recent one I just saw, Joe Rogan learns about Sam Sulik. Like I used to have one of the, I used to have one of those clips channels and I really enjoyed it and it got good views. And I think something I'm going to go back to is that because I, I enjoy consuming those. So I know if I'll enjoy making them, you know what I mean? And I like being able to clip in the context. You just can't clip context in 30 to 60 seconds. You just can't. And I think it makes the clips, it makes me sound stupid half the time. Did you, did you stop doing YouTube? No, but I stopped doing YouTube clips, like podcast clips. Oh, okay. Cause like your last month, your last video was like two weeks ago. The other yeah. one was one month ago. So what do you, what do you do? Like two videos a month? I'm just slow. <laughs> I don't, I have to come up with like good ideas. <laughs> I saw this tweet and it has like a real estate in my head. It was like, you have to, or the, the idea is more important than the editing. And I'm like, uh, I need more ideas. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I'm just such a podcast guy, you know? If you were to trace back to which posts or posts one or two, have attributed to your most growth or revenue. Can you think about those? I can think of mine, but how about yours? On on X or? Whenever, wherever. Uh, yeah, so since I post most there, I think the one that's attributed the most to my revenue would probably be my auto DMs. Those probably gave me the most revenue, especially like 2022. I'd say the most growth came from when I did the zero to 60K in one year. Here are the nine threads I bookmarked. And it was like a spectacle of a thread. It was like a recap of my journey. And I just, I posted the nine threads that I, I literally bookmarked. And that one got like over 2,000 likes. You check your bookmarks? I never check my bookmarks. They're adding a search bar in the bookmarks. No way, really. Elite, the greatest feature. Did you see the media change? Now it's like an Instagram. It's so nice. Yeah, it's like, it's very good. Yeah, they're making yeah. a lot of great improvements. Um, But yeah, I think that one got me at least like 1,000 followers. So I'd say like, that was probably the biggest in terms of growth. For me, the biggest post I ever made in terms of growth was when we sold Tweet Hunter. Not as in like as many followers came in, but really good followers came in. And I'm like, what? I think when you exit a company, it's like you join like the dark brotherhood. It's like exit. Yes, join us. We've all it's like I can now add one time exit in my bio. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. Exactly what it founders with an exit it's like a freaking brand like in a fraternity <laughs> yeah it's like the forbes 30 for 30 yeah exactly but it, this was not as cringe slightly less. you cannot be forbes 30 on the 30 and not have it in your bio <laughs> it's like vegan people bro they'll, they'll just tell you yeah like how do you know when somebody has a cold plunge you just shut up for five minutes they tell you hey bro i did a cold plunge oh, okay anyway growth was that but i don't know revenue ex specifically but i know the kind it's always screenshots that show people being in your same situation doing better than you. This guy has less followers than you. He's making more money than you. What's going on here, right? Those are the ones that work the best, but it was long-term. It was long-term because those are the ones that used to get people into email. I believe, personally, I think this is one area where you and I might be do things differently. I think the main function of social is getting people into a list. And the main function of a list, of an email list, it's getting people into your offers. I really like that funnel. So it's like public to private to offers. And that's just what I do. What do you think? Yeah. I'd say my my opinion on that is the main function of social is to build an audience. And the main function of an audience is to push a message. And whether that message is related to your offer or whatever, because I think there are people who have message without an offer. I feel like that's my take on it. 
Yeah, I have to think about it. I have another one for that. I think that uh, you sell ideas in public, but you sell offers in private. And I think that one we agree with because our fun, like, I agree. The way I understand it, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but the way I understand it is your funnel is sending out stuff in the public, then getting people into a private conversation in which you get them into an offer. Mm -hmm. Am I mm -hmm. right? Yeah, we've actually, exactly. We've added lists. We actually recently started adding email lists to that equation because I do believe it's good. And I'm almost, I've, I haven't posted like a, a selling tweet in a long time. <laughs> Rarely ever sell in public. The only thing we've like sold in public was like a webinar, a free webinar. <laughs> it's like, I haven't, I haven't really posted a sales tweet in like a year. I, I totally agree. It's, I don't really. Yeah. It's no point. You know what I mean? It's like a waste of your feed. Occasionally I'll do a hand raiser. It's just a little bit schmoving. But anyway, so you're like public, private, offer. I do the same thing, except your private is a DM or a list, right? My public, my private is specifically list. So public, private, which is a list, and then to an offer. So now I'm a big believer and you sell ideas in public and you sell offers in private. Because it's much easier to get people to buy into the likes and cash idea than into the likes and cash offer. So I think that people will benefit a lot from having one big idea that they stand for. How often would you recommend a hand raiser in general? Twice a month. Interesting. Specifically when, and like, I think the hand raiser depends on the frequency of your why now offer. So not just for your regular offer, do it for your why now offer. Your why now offer is... What is the excuse you're inventing once or twice a month for me to get people into your stuff? You're going to raise your price. Actually have a, let me pull this up. We're doing some, some sauce in the likes and cash podcast. It's been a while. It has been a while. Yeah. So one-on-one -on -one call, more access to you, a done-on-one, done-for-you component, a change in pricing, a bonus, a future price raise, capping your spots monthly, big fan, and capping your spots evergreen, as in I'm only taking a hundred people ever, right? And that allows you to kind of play an interesting game because if it's like, I'm only taking 100 people to this ever, people from zero to 50 will get a certain price. From 50 to 75, a certain price, and 75 to 100, a higher price. So I come up with any excuse why now. So let's say it's the beginning of the month, the end of the month, I'm going to add a one-on-one -on -one call, I'm going to change price, whatever. Every time I do that, then two or three hand racers each make sense so it doesn't depend on the timing for me it depends on how often can you come up with why now excuses to launch an offer interesting yeah i think my hand raiser stopped working when i moved up market but i'm gonna i'm gonna i want to split test running hand raisers for clients based on just depending on the person i do think there's merit to it and i do think like ig is more obvious because you can just run the hand raisers in your stories and then not run them on your posts but I feel like on Twitter, it's a little trickier where it has like has to be on your feed. I wish they would bring back fleets. Do you remember that? Oh, dude, that was, I didn't use bring them. Bring back. But, they, but it was so slow though. Yeah, it was. You know, that didn't like. I wish they had fleets. If they had fleets, I feel like that's the last kind of content style they're missing. It's kind of like the what's like, what's happening today, life status kind of update. They don't have that really on Twitter unless you just like post it. When we talked about threads, my prediction was it's going to be good and i was wrong what was your prediction my prediction was that shit sucks <laughs> i was literally <laughs> i'm glad i was right about something because obviously i didn't really want to add that to my offer because it's just kind of lazy but <laughs> i just didn't really feel like it i was like i really don't want to have to go repurpose to threads um but i think the reason it didn't work and the reason i said back then is that they don't have the streets you gotta have the streets 
on social media. What do you mean streets? Like the Twitter people are like, they are all about meme culture and like the fact that you can be negative, positive, fight video, could be the most random thing. You're going to see bots. Like it's like very much like the wild, wild west. It's like Twitter was public school and threads was private school and private school kids are never cool. So it was like, everybody just kind of ganged up on it. It was like the only people who went to threads were like, I hate to say it, but like the liberal, like we're, we're going to use X because of Elon Musk. <laughs> and now Mark Zuckerberg hasn't even posted in like three weeks on there. You're kidding. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't use his own product. So yeah, I think, I think it, for people who understand what I'm saying, it ultimately is just like, it didn't have the culture, the social media culture. And I think each platform kind of has its people and I don't think they have any people. They don't really have an identity. It was just trying to do what someone else is doing. Yeah. Well, there you go. I was wrong. You're right. What, uh, what else do we have over here? My first millions was, wait, I just want to point it out. My first millions, you guys were wrong. Uh, not investment advice with Trung T fan, Jack Butcher and whoever else they were wrong. <laughs> so I can keep going. I listened to all these pods because at the, at the time I was like, I need to research. So I'm listening to everybody. Everybody was wrong. I don't know. Unless, unless they could prove me wrong that they were right. But yeah, straight call out. Well, there you go. Lexi Cass, <laughs> Lexi Cass Lexi wins Cass this one. Nice. Let's go. Let's go. Boys. Let's go. <laughs> oh, shit. Nice. Okay. Okay, cool. Something that traveling taught me because I wasn't, Dude, I, I went around the world, bro. I went to Poland. Then, like, from Guatemala, Latin America, I went to Poland. Then I went to Korea and Japan. And then I went back to Guatemala. So, actually, like, around the world. It was quite cool. In what time frame? Uh, so, from Poland to Korea to Guatemala, that was, like, three weeks. But from Guatemala Three continents in three weeks. The, yeah. Read a thread on it, bro. It's that's like, a good you, thread. That's a good yeah, hook. You, bro, you, you got you got that eye the other day. He was like, a client was telling me, bro, I don't know what to call my offer, right? And I'm like, numbers need to sound sexy, right? I'm a big fan of that. So he's like, what do you do? He's like, I help people get a 7K month per job in tech in half a year. Like, how do I make this happen? I'm like, okay, can you make it 8.333K a month? It's like, yeah, if they put the effort, yes. Well, there you go. You're... Uh, program name now is six figures in six months. And then it's like, oh, I like that, right? Numbers need sound, <laughs> sound nice. One time we closed uh, clients. We filled the client spots in eight days. And I was like slightly depressed. I was like, this sucks. And then someone's asking me like, why? But it's like eight days still good. But I'm like, but it's not seven. Meaning I can't say we filled client spots in the first week. So that sucks, you know? Anyway. Back to the point. Something that troubling taught me, seeing all these different cultures, is that there are so many things more interesting than myself. Like going and looking at other things, it doing all those stuff, or always kind of inside your own head. But when you see other stuff, you realize like you're not that interesting. The world is interesting. But it also gives you more respect to yourself, as in like there's these people do things so much more different than me, and they still live so many cool lives. So I used to be really stressed because I would always ask the question, which I think is really toxic. What should I do? Should implies that what you're doing is wrong and that what the answer is to that is right. And it's never that way. Nothing is 100% positive or 100% negative. 
So asking myself specifically in business, what should I do? Or asking a mentor, what should I do? Put a lot of anxiety and stress on me because it kind of didn't make me understand nuance. And my personality type tends to not deal very well with nuance. And sometimes I fall into that trap and I'm like, right, that thing exists. But now I ask the question when I'm encountered with a problem that I realize, like, have you ever given advice to someone? And the question was kind of tricky, but you give advice and you're like, that was fire, bro. Clip that shit. Tweet that shit. Same thing happens to yourself. So instead of asking what should I do, I ask myself now, what would I do? Because when you frame it like that and you put yourself in the third person, then you solve problems better and anxiety goes way down. You realize that nobody really knows shit. I was talking with Dakota the other day and I'm like, Dakota, what funnel are you running? He's like, I'm running funnel A. JK, what funnel are you running? I'm running the exact opposite funnel you're running, right? And we're both yeah. making money. And it's like, right? Like, there's no really right way to do it. I asked Justin Walsh, Justin, would you recommend monetizing day zero? No, absolutely not. It's like, okay. Dan, do you recommend monetizing day zero? Of course, bro. Right, you guys are both millionaires. Right, there you go. <laughs> There's only one way to, there's no way, no one way to do it. Thanks. It's generally, it reminds me of like getting a second opinion on like with doctors. It's like, like what you go to one guy, he's like a Harvard doctor, whatever. He's like, yeah, I don't think it's broken. I think you're fine. Like, and then you go to another doctor, he's like, you need surgery. <laughs> then you go to like an Eastern doctor and they're like, you need to meditate. <laughs> like, well, they're all doctors. So it's like, what do I take? I, I feel like it's the same. It's like, even that, even at the highest level, like, Nobody knows shit. It's like they they do, but they, it's only what they what they've learned in their own experience. You know what I mean? Like, I guess that's why you should get second opinions on everything. Let's talk about health. I'm interested in that because you recently went through kind of a health transformation. You put a bunch of muscle, right? And I actually went through a few shade uh, belief shifting experiences that uh, changed a lot of my beliefs on diet. So what are some of the ones health related because you're an entrepreneur, you're successful that you've encountered that worked for you? Yeah, I'd say the absolute number one has been sleep. It's tracking my sleep, making sure I get good sleep, making sure I try not to do blue light before bed, wind down, not drink water like, you know, 90 minutes before. That's been number one. Um, I'd say after that would be diet, going as far as possible to more whole foods things like just anything that's not processed that's been my like one of my number one goals has been unprocessed food so whole foods do you take like whey protein and stuff i have it occasionally um we just got one like experimenting i'm not like religious about it we just got like a grass for a grass-fed whey protein that we're trying out but i'm not super religious about it and i don't really take any supplements it might change i, I kind of want to try that uh brian johnson's coming out with like an athletic greens substitute are you going vegan no, but he's coming out with like an athletic greens version of like some sort of like morning powder. And I know a lot of people swear by AG1. So I'm going to try that in January. But other than that, it's like whole foods, sleep, and I'm trying to run a marathon next year. So I'm on team run now. <laughs> you go back to America, you start running. You're listening to Goggins while you did it? I used to listen to Goggins while I run, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're nice, nice. Bro, Goggins is one enlightened dude. He proves the point we were talking before. You know, Joe asked him, like, do you think about, like, the best way to do things and your method? He's like, no, bro, here's the thing. I don't do it to get fit or whatever. I do it from my mind. And I know this shit's hard and that's all I need to know to do it. And I felt bad, bro. Yeah. 
And I felt that. He doesn't need like a leaderboard or anything like that. He's just like, we're running. We're yeah, going. if it sucks, then this is the right path. I respect that. Um, for diet, bro, I'm, I, I eat sugar now. And I drink sugar as well. And I'm not afraid of it. And actually, gives me a bunch of like energy and I like it. And I've, I've shed some weight. And, you know, all these dogmas, bro, like people will take these. There's the system, right? The entirety of health. And they will take one thing and they will make it their entire personality. I'm a carnivore now. Everybody should be carnivore. Now, therefore, I am better than all of you guys because I eat more meat. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Pause. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I was remembering? This is recorded in. When we're talking with Quinn and he explained kind of what uh, what Alex does or whatever. And you're like, I love men. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> What's <laughs> up, bro? <laughs> you know what I thought? Uh, something I thought of is like, I tweeted this the other day. I'm like, people... I try to when I, I try to base all of my diet things off of just like pure logic, like anything health related. I just try to I try to come to my own conclusion because ultimately, like every study in the world, there's always different studies, and every study is backed by some different company. And everyone seems like everyone has a different experience. Like Jordan Peterson's like I've only eaten meat for five years and it's worked for me. And then you see another guy who's like cold plunge and sada. Then you see another guy who's like I don't sleep, I just go. And then David Goggins like I just run all day and. These all, all these people feel healthy, right? I just try to use logic when I, when I do this now. And I'm like, yeah, I should drink water. How much? So my pee doesn't turn yellow. We're good. Like, uh, I, I look at Sardinia, like I look at all the blue zones, the Sardinia people are living to like a hundred plus something you said that stuck with me, which is related to this was that stress is the biggest killer. And I look at Sardinia and they're just like stress-free walking around all day, drinking wine and eating pasta. And they living to like 105 like 99% of people will never live that long, even if they do cold plunge, sauna, run, sleep. You know what I mean? So I try to do what makes me feel good now and be stress-free. Like I'm going to go have a slice of pizza if I want a slice of pizza. I'm going to have a cookie if I want to have a cookie. I'm not going to binge it if I don't, you know, if I have the self-control. But I just like, I look at those Sardinia people and I'm just like, there's something to they be get said. It, man. There's something to be said about just enjoying your life enough and like everything in moderation stay away from processed foods. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not going to be eating fucking like Oreos. <laughs> so if you stay away from processed food and just enjoy life, I feel like you're pretty good right there. <laughs> like you're living to a hundred. You're good. As long as you don't get hit by a bus. You yeah. Know? When, when you get caught up in like the, like people are, it's not that these Instagram or, or Twitter people that there are many, it's just that they are louder than everyone else. So you're yeah. like, Nine percent body fat, and that's the new standard. Nah, bro, it's like yeah. I don't think you can stay there for a few years. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I find it interesting. It's like you know, like eating a ton of protein, being big, isn't really that great for your heart. And like, look at these sard these Sardinians don't even eat. They barely eat protein. They're <laughs> just walking around like a, a buck thirty eating pasta. And I'm like, ah, like I never know who to listen to, which is why I've ultimately come to the fact where I'm just like, I'm gonna do what makes me feel good. I'm not gonna be stupid. I'm going to stay away from the process shit and then I'm going to do what makes me feel good and try to just try to look good, you know? I'm Googling. Dude, people in Sardinian, how many grams of protein do you think they eat a day? I just I just found this here. 40. 50, bro. Damn. Yeah. It's crazy. There and you it probably go. just comes from the pasta and prosciutto. <laughs> it's all from the cheese. 
<laughs> yeah, the cheese. Yeah, that's where all the protein comes from. Literally, cheese and prosciutto is probably the only thing that they have it with. So, yeah. It's like, it's, well, you know, I'm not saying one side is right or one side is wrong, but if these guys are so wrong, why are you dying earlier, bro? That's what I'm yeah. asking. You know, I, I don't and know. I tell, I'm a tester. Like I test everything. Like I'm gonna test barefoot shoes, and I'm gonna test the cotton only clothes, and I'm gonna test everything. But ultimately, what I come back to is just like use your head and don't be stupid and like you know moderation i'm telling you bro <laughs> eventually you're gonna land in a no underwear team i'm telling you i'm a meundies maximalist i don't bro, know okay this, <laughs> see uh, this is this is something you we're not ready to have this conversation yet. you're gonna <laughs> land in that team and uh I cut on. I, I I do think cotton's good. You're gonna land in the sugar team eventually. You're gonna see. I I used to have sugar in my coffee. You know, I'll 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 enjoy a mocha, like a mochaccino or like a mocha coffee, like once a week or once every other week. But at home, like my Keurig, it's just either black or a little bit of milk, and then I'm I'm good. Um, my my grandma, she's like three scoops of sugar and like half a cup of milk in her coffee. So I've kind of grew up like that. So now that's I try the to way. Stay away. That's yeah. the way. That's how you do it. Well, there you go. Yeah. Okay. What is one like weird the hell thing that you do? We're going to have this conversation again three months after. Is there anything you've changed like it's kind of weird health-wise or like habit-wise? Weird health things that I do. I don't know if it's weird, but ever since I came back from Bali, I am like a coconut maximalist. I cook a, like half of my meals in coconut oil and the other half in olive oil, and I drink coconut water whenever possible i'm i'm bali i'm balinese now so <laughs> i don't know if it's weird but that's definitely something i picked up living in bali have you gained any have you got too much fat with that or not really i've lost well i've lost weight since i came home um i think because just eating out's less it's less accessible in miami the food here kind of sucks compared to bali or new york but no I, I think it's just it keeps you so hydrated it's like and then with the coconut oil it's just like it's so much cleaner than you know, like fucking, what do people use? Canola oil or peanut oil or any of that yeah. shit. Yeah, I'm big on that. Like, I do avoid, like, cereals. Like, that's the Me one too. meme yeah. I bought into. Yeah, I bought like, into it as well. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, I'm, you know, when really. you have the means, like, once you make a little bit of money, it's like, I'm like, like I said, I use my head. I just don't be stupid. Like, if I have the means to buy high quality oil, then I'm gonna. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna be like, oh, fuck the fuck, fuck the noise. <laughs> I'm gonna eat seed oil and Oreos. Ah, like, I'm not like that. You know what I mean? Like I just use yeah. logic in my health decisions. All right. Do you have anything? Anything else? I have one. I have one. I'm curious. Do you set yearly goals? Question mark. And if you do, what are they for 2024? Uh, legals. Yearly goals. Oh, oh. Uh, I thought your legals. Yeah. I'm like I, I don't know any <laughs> lawyers really, but I, I do. I do set them, but I never say them. Like I, I, that's another meme I bought it. Don't tell anyone your goals because that, I'm big on that. No, bro. Like you listen to me on this one, bro. It's like, I have really noticed that I really drop off when I say those kind of things. I'll give you an example, right? So, you know, my best workouts are when I'm wearing baggy ass shirts and I can't even see what I'm, what I'm doing. Right. I look normal. My best shrieks for diet are where, where I never check myself out in the mirror. I just go with like, yeah, whatever. I just stick to the plan, you know, deficit, keep going, right? When I check, when I say anything related to my goals, that's not like just for me, I fuck it up. So I don't say it. I have them, I don't say it. This is a classic, and we could leave it at this. This is a classic version of what you just said with Dan Coe and Justin Welsh and you and Dakota. Because I have my best workouts when I can see my veins popping out. <laughs> 
And I tried the keeping my goals to myself. And what I found for me is that I just got lazy about them because I had no accountability. So now I tell people my goals because now I'll feel like shit and embarrassed if I don't hit them. Well, so it's Marcos, like two, two ends of the for spectrum. The four Legs and Cash podcast listeners, what are your New Year's goals? So my 2024 goals, um, I haven't written them out yet, but the two that I have in mind right now are I want to run a marathon, which is essentially my health and fitness goal. And then for business, I want to do 2 million in EBITDA. 2 million EBITDA, that's revenue? Basically, basically like profit, profit before taxes. There you go. For yourself, take home? Well, yeah, it's all going, I guess, for the business. Let's call it the business. Cool. All right. Nice. Nice juicy 10x multiple, yeah? Well, there you go. We're going to have this conversation <laughs> next year. One year see from what, today. Yeah, see how, see how it goes. Put it on the... <laughs> tell Sonia to put it on your calendar, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Fuck. I told the world it's over. Yeah, there you <laughs> so go. It's so over. <laughs> well, it's your thing, man. Like, I'm out of do it, but you do it opposite ways. You know, there's not one way to do things. But there is one right action to take right now, and that is to smash that like button and subscribe to the Lacey Cash podcast. Share with your friends, tweet about us, I'll retweet you. I'll like it. See you guys. Bye. <laughs>